So six weeks ago, we told everybody we were going to take a break for two weeks and launch a professional podcast. I don't think that math maths. Was it six weeks? Yeah. Oh, wow. And we have recorded now two episodes of a well-produced podcast. The production quality was great. It, it was beautiful. structured. Yep. It was tight. Mm -hmm. And we didn't issue them. No. Why not? Um... I think the most honest reason is because we didn't want to. <laughs> I'm Ace Callwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. So it turns out the new show is really just a tighter version of the old show because we decided we just like talking about things that came up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what And that actually, if we had done a formulaic professional podcast, we would sound like all the other formulaic professional podcasts. And then people would offer us money, and then we'd have to take corporate sponsorship because we've got families to feed, and we shouldn't turn that down. And then we'd you know, be on a path to success. And this isn't what we want to be successful in. No, that sounds like a lot of work. So we decided we're going to create a rubbish product so we're not successful. I mean, that's basically what we did in season zero why not bring it into season one so we're sitting in for our launch for our launch new podcast uh -huh. we're sitting we're in columbia south carolina in a springfield suites spring hill suites spring that's the up, spring that's well suites spring-ish suites uh yeah do we know anybody at spring something suites it's owned by marriott i think we do shit yeah uh yeah we know lots of people there so we can't say bad things yeah let's uh just change the subject because we can do that um have you ever been a large black man in a large truck <laughs> answer carefully you didn't use the word with <laughs> nope have you been a large black man in a large truck no i have not tell me about that experience ace colwood it is an experience all right so what happens what happens is first People see the truck, especially a vintage truck. It's a, it's a good thing. They see it, and they love it. And then they expect that there is some bearded redneck mm. driving said truck. And so you see them watch the truck, and you know they love the truck. And then you see them oh, see Oh, they're you. expecting somebody who looks like that oh, Oliver yeah. Anthony guy, uh -huh. or that song. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And then they see you. Yeah. And then they double take. And then you get a smile, a nod, a wave or a thumbs up. Any be one of those. Because it's not a... Just because it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, and it's a beautiful, It shouldn't beautiful be a big thing. black man in the truck. Yeah. It happens... So I used to drive a, uh, a truck of one of my really good friends, a brother, I'd call him, um, partly because he is a brother, and two, because he's my brother. Uh, I used to drive Scotty's Scout. He had a, uh, a 70... Two, I want to say, International Harvester, Scout 2. It was this big yellow. It felt like Miss Frizzle driving the Magic School Bus. <laughs> a massive, massive truck. Ton of torque. Like, you'd spin tires when you gave it a little bit of gas. Uh, you couldn't give it too much gas uh, because the floorboards were rusted through, and so it was more of a Flintstones-type mobile that you could, like, put your feet out. But I just had the most beautiful experiences in that Scout. And I think that brings us to our involuntary sponsor of the week.
Oh, they're making them here. Yeah. Yes. We're so in the backyard. Columbia, South Carolina yeah. is where Volkswagen bought the old Scout truck brand. They bought the brand. And are building a brand new designed, brand new plant electric truck. Oh, EV. And we know yeah. some of the team there. Yeah. Yeah. They're brilliant. So yeah. the team I and like the team that helped bring them here. Yeah. And we know the team that brought them South Carolina, yeah. Ashley and her crew in uh-huh. the Department of Economic Development. So just good people out there. And so officially we are We're in full support of, of Scout. I, I would love to see a quality EV truck on the road that can go do some damage. And we've seen a couple that have popped up that might do it, but uh, I'm gunning for Scout on this one. Well, I have a slightly different motive. Oh, so that's the official version. What's yeah, the so unofficial the official version, version is we're, like we're cheering on for sure South Carolina and good and people and yeah, yeah, all we're that. biased on it. They're a client. We're here to see and them and electric cars. We're, we're cheering on it. electric vehicles and we're cheering on our friends who who work for Scout yeah. and uh, we believe in all of that stuff. But really, Scotty, you were describing him <laughs> in the truck. Who my, I my brother I love. He's a dear dear friend. He's also a curmudgeonly bastard. Is convinced that they can't pull this off. That you can't build a really classic truck on an electric vehicle, and I would just love to see him eat crow. <laughs> so sure, we believe in all of those things, but really this is, this is a multi-billion dollar investment in an electric vehicle plant just to prove Scotty wrong. So is, is Scout the involuntary sponsor or is Scotty? Scout. Go Scout. All right. Yeah. All right. Speaking of bearded men. Yeah, we were talking about bearded men. Should we talk about this rich men north of Richmond thing? Yeah, Oliver Anthony. So like, let's set the, are you going to set the scene? Give you, the brief. You, do you, do no, you, you know set the, the scene? scene? No, okay. I don't. Yeah. All right, well, that leaves it to me to set the scene, I suppose. Uh, so Oliver Anthony, this previously generally unknown um, uh, folk country, uh, maybe on the fringe in between both artists, released a song called Rich Men North of Richmond. And uh, ostensibly, he's talking about D.C., which is about 90, mi- 90 minutes, well, four hours if you're on 95 on a bad day. But uh, as the crow flies, about 90 minutes north of Richmond, Virginia, where I happen to live. And uh, Alvar Anthony's from Farmville, Virginia, which means nothing to anybody except it's west of Richmond and a rural area. Yeah. There's a university there. That's about it. Um, so he's he's properly from the sticks, as we would say. He's written this song, which is generally this rant against the 1%. Uh, I'd imagine the 99%, the, the rest of us, would generally agree with the sentiment. It's a blue-collar kind of anthem of how we're getting screwed by taxes. And, you know, the the politicians who don't care about us just care about lining their pockets. That's what this song is. It blew up. He, like, yeah, released this thing. Wild. It took off. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, like, first or longest standing unsigned artist at the top of the Billboard charts and all of the stats and accolades. This isn't about that. It's not he has a, a haunting voice. He's got a great voice. Yeah. Some of his other tracks are incredible as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I instinctively... Liked it and didn't like it because I knew it was going to, I mean, it was very quickly became a political thing, but, but it sort of rode a wave. So it suddenly blew up and it was kind of all over Fox news. It was seen as an anthem of the right. And then they played it at the Republican nominee debates. And then he issued a statement that says, this got nothing to do with Joe Biden politics. This is against all of them. So he thought, so Oliver Anthony suddenly declared, 
Well, he didn't suddenly declare. He just explained that, yeah. hey, this wasn't this wasn't anti-Democrat or pro-Republican. This was actually anti-all of them. And he talked about the irony of that. So then the Democrats got really excited because it was like, ha-ha, we got you. Kind of missing the point that it was anti-them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what did you think? Like, uh, my My issue wasn't with the song. I think one has artistic license to tell a story through music as, as lyricists do. Um, my issue is with uh, how polarizing it became because arguably it's not a polarizing song. He's saying it wasn't intended to be that it wasn't intended to be. It was right. supposed to be them and us, but the them is the, is the, the 1%. 1%. And of course there's a societal thing of believing that we have aspirations to be in the 1%. Therefore we can't tax them. We can't, criticize them we can't x y and z right if if i want to be in that group one day i have to be careful about what i say about that group uh, but beside that i'm it, gonna i'm gonna come back to the math on this but sure um for me it was the lack of nuance here right for for most of the people who connected with and enjoyed and and listened through the song there were kind of two camps i found it was one camp that liked all of it and one camp that was turned off by a singular line in the song, which is, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not pay for your bag of fudge rounds. I think a clunkily written line at best. Why? But, uh, well, it just, I, I thought the line was written poorly. But the sentiment of the line, doesn't matter how the line was written, um, the sentiment of the line is really interesting. He's, he's talking about welfare um, recipients and, and being, and obesity, and as a function of that, you know, my taxes supporting your life shouldn't be paying for your bags of fudge rounds. And that, I found, was like the singular thing that turned people off of the song. Of everybody I've talked to, it was this line of the people who didn't love the track. This line is the one that did it for them. And it's almost directly along political lines. On the left, it's a, ooh, this is offensive and it's uh, dog whistly and, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, fat shaming, et cetera. And on the right, it's like, well, hell yeah, you, my taxes shouldn't pay for that. And it was just this very interesting polarizing line. In so I, I've got a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, I, I think it shows, like, why there's a 1% because in – in in just the lines of his song, he's illustrated what Karl Marx would would probably describe as the divide and conquer approach of the mm. bourgeoisie t- towards the proletariat. So mm. when he says, "I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay," uh, and then so that's the attack on on the bourgeoisie, right? But then yep. he turns he he turns immediately on. The people who are buying fudge rounds on well on welfare. Hang mm-hmm. on, are we going after the billionaires or are we going after the people on welfare? Well, you know, yeah. Marx's Marx's uh, description of this is spot on. Oh no, we'll we'll just attack each other instead of going after the thing. I mean, this happens within a verse of each other. Yeah, and but no, can but, I can I yeah. can I stay there though? Because it, it <laughs> the line in question here is a non sequitur. It doesn't matter what your height and weight are if you believe that taxes shouldn't pay for junk food. It has no bearing. And so, like, there's a red herring in here that just doesn't make sense. Oh, I don't know. I think, I think if Bob Dylan wrote this song, I, I think you, you liberals, as I'm not going to batch you in, right. would have a very different interpretation of this. It would be descriptive. I think if he didn't, if he didn't look 
like he was. Look, he looks a little redneckish. Let's just use his phrases, sure. right? He's he looks like the guy that, that should be driving the truck, We're saying like that. you described yeah, earlier. Sure. Is that yeah? If Bob Dylan wrote this, and everybody, ah, oh, this is a this is an anthem to the reality of life because what he's essentially saying is exactly the same that the the nonprofit researchers will talk about food deserts and obesity and diabetes and should should SNAP pay for X, Y, and Z, SNAP being the, the food stamp essentially for, for those who aren't in the States. Um, and all of those things, he's just doing it through words and he's, he's describing. But these points could pretty much come out of any housing authority report. Yeah, but they'd be wrong then too without context. Right, like the shelf life of a bag of fudge rounds is significantly longer than a bag of lettuce. Oh, uh, and you can't the, buy a the, bag the, of lettuce. The, the economic realities of being on welfare, um, of being obese, and of finding a little sliver of fucking solace in something that tastes good in the grand scheme of one's life when you've ended on welfare and that's the income you have at your disposal. I mean, so much is missed in here, but even that's not the thing. It's that we don't have the ability society societally to separate a thing that we might enjoy mostly from a thing that we don't because of the line and like I I find that it's all or nothing here, particularly around this track Richmond, north of Richmond. It has been hell yeah, I'm all in or absolutely not because of that singular thing I didn't love and it couldn't be well this was an interesting exploration of someone's lived experience and maybe we might get some context from the author on what he meant by this line what he saw and what led him to that conclusion it's just baby out with the bathwater because most people i've seen have agreed with yeah there's this power and control piece in politics that maybe we don't love is the every man we've lost all of that because of a singular words matter is is what i think i'm illustrating here i i, I think it makes for a lousy song though yeah. no but what I, what is interesting here is that the this song is layered with statements that resonate with different people who are all um, they're all victims of a situation, but it's already being used to turn on each other. Yeah, I think that's the like instead of it being the rallying cry for a restructured system and addressing food deserts and minimum wage and investment in ed- education, so that you're not creating this pool of low-income jobs mm-hmm. um, that the... It always strikes me when you go to McDonald's, and I think McDonald's actually is an incredibly well-run company, whatever, sure. whatever yeah. you think of the food, everything with it, is that Love a Big Mac. They, they have the ability to uh, roboticize everything, mm-hmm. but don't. Why? Because it's cheaper and higher people. Yeah. Why is it cheaper to hire people? Is that an intentional like decision no, but it from just, McDonald's? Just, just follows it through. This okay. Is, this, All right. this is the most like acutely um, mathematically driven company, mm-hmm. right? And so they built all these systems. Think about what's involved in preparing that food or mm-hmm. or delivering that food, or handing it through. Why isn't that? Why isn't that a self serve pickup location? Well, because you uh, robots are expensive. You use robots to build cars. You don't use robots to serve. So it it gets to for me this. We have created this deep underclass, 
And the very groups that should be connecting mm-hmm. are the white poor, Appalachian poor in this side of the country, rural poor in the west side of the country, mm-hmm. and um, urban black communities, urban black populations. And there's u- there's no unity. They're just, they're positioned as enemies. And then even this 1% thing, I feel like, is letting is letting people off light in the sense of let's be clear the one percent are living aren't living in Washington D.C. Like <laughs> look there are rich people in Washington D.C. but that's not where the one percent are. Sure. The one percent are in New York. The one percent are in London. The one percent are in um, McLean, Virginia, but they're mm-hmm. not in D.C. Mm-hmm. They're not in politics. Now are they in the top ten percent? Absolutely. Sure. But we don't do a good job of understanding sort of the we by by declaring that. Jeff Bezos, as much of it, you know, whatever my, as much as I have my views of Jeff Bezos as an sure. individual, that's not, his wealth isn't the thing that is holding everybody else back. It's, it's much broader than that. Mm-hmm. And so you... But there's the argument that if you're a billionaire, the only way you could have gotten there is exploitative. The only way that one can build that astronomical wealth is to have exploited somebody in the system or the machine that you've created. There's truth to that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I... But capitalism is an exploitative system. Like, and I think that... No, it's just, a, it's just a framework. No, it's not just a framework. It's chosen. I think people forget this. Like... In, let's say we've had 10,000 years of human history. Mm-hmm. We've had a capitalist system for 500. It's not a given. And we've only had a capitalist system in the West, what yeah. we call the West. Yeah. And we, we sort of go along and say, oh, this is just rules of the game. And say, No, it's not. We've, we've chosen this. And so you can have a feudal system. You can have a socialist system. You have a communist system. You can reinvent a different system. But capitalism itself is, a, it, it, it is relatively new. I, what I do think is happening at the moment is this presumption around capitalism more efficiently allocates resources than other systems, which I think most economists would say is broadly true. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't say, what are the benefits of equalizing that? Mm-hmm. What are the benefits of things that you you can't measure? And so this is where you start getting into, this is Bobby Kennedy's line of, uh, if if you're run over in the street and you call an ambulance, mm-hmm. that actually increases GDP. The country is richer as a result of that person because being run over in the yeah, street. Yeah. yeah, and clearly that's a ridiculous measure, which is why you got countries because like, uh, because there's there's an there's an economic exchange in yeah that yeah so you have an to pay somebody for so it, the, so it right. creates instead of focused upon um, same would apply for if uh, if your kids if if a school system uh, spreads kids around the city and there might be different reasons for doing that. Um, that will generate economic wealth because you have to you have to drive to get the kids there, or you have to. There's a school bus system, or whatever it is. Um, what we don't measure is if you didn't do that, you would have less economic value, but you'd have kids walking to school. Mm-hmm. They'd be having exercise, and you'd be keeping money in local communities, for instance. Right? Sure. There's lots of cuts to do on it, but we've yeah. We, but I do think there's sort of a debate about the measure of GDP. What this what this song for me does is it. It suckers the whole system. Hmm. Actually, it this is 
if there's a bourgeoisie, they're very grateful for this because it makes it, it just keeps dividing mm-hmm. instead of allying. And that's and, by design, right? I mean, I, Oliver Anthony didn't write the song by design um, for the benefit of wealthy, but by design, the system by which we are pitted against each other below that upper echelon of wealth. That That is... Uh, there's always been the argument that racial and gender and all of the other demographic divides are superseded by socioeconomics. Like that's the actual divide, and and that has been the case for the everdom of ever. Yet we've been pitted against each other, uh, particularly along along racial lines in this country, and that was even that by design. Can we get? Can we come back to trucks? Because apparently this is a truck issue. Oh, okay. Is so my other slight issue with these poor men in trucks. Trucks are fucking expensive. They are bloody expensive. Yeah. And if if you look at... I own one. If it's you, expensive. So if you look at immigrants when they come to this country with yeah. no money, yeah. no money, no credit. Getting credit in this country is very hard. And... Toyota Corolla. <laughs> yeah. Toyota Corolla. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the answer. The 20-year-old Toyota, Toyota Corolla. Uh-huh. It, it is... Honda Civic. Yep. Yep. Both those. That's yep. what you drive. And I'm sorry. These guys who are driving these trucks, they're, they're not working on farms and they are not driving through snow. And they're not driving twenty-year-old Toyota Corollas or Honda Civics, and I, I, it's there is this mindset of being in the bottom five percent, and I, I don't think that we do do a good idea. We, I don't think we have a a good idea of who is in the top or the bottom. Let's just try this. So I know what you make, you know what I make. Uh-huh. We don't necessarily need to broadcast it. No, no I don't mind really, but. Um, we are comfortably. We're at like the seven percent mark. No, globally we're in the top two. Yeah, and we're all like, "Oh yeah, we should go after those." Like, no, we are it. We are it. Almost everybody that listens to this are in the top two percent of income and wealth on the planet. Yeah, and we still find an enemy. This is this is. Karl Marx. I like nice shit. He was right. Look, um, his 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 proscription for society. I don't believe in. I don't think we should live in a communist country. I don't think it's the best outcome. But Marx's analysis of how capitalism works, incredible. You have just spared yourself from the bout of McCarthyism. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, no, the, so I'll, I'll maybe land it here. I would love for Oliver Anthony to have a conversation as he's turning down record deals left and right. As a matter of principle, which I respect. I respect. He's like, yep, nope, music label. I'm not interested. I'm going to keep the indie route. But I would love him to sit down with somebody that he has just gone at, who is 5'3", 300 pounds, with taxes paying for fudge rounds, and explain how he is in a position to pass up the money that they don't have and are as a result on welfare. I would love for that conversation, that dialogue to take place. It won't ever, but it would make me happy. Anyway, moving on. You were just. Hey, in I, the just UK. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. If I was on that income stream, mm-hmm. I would smoke twenty cigarettes a day, without question. Like, and as for the fudge things, full on. Yeah, I I'd smoke them as well. I love a fudge round. You can smoke anything if you try hard enough. I don't know what a fudge round is, but I'm in. Your, your American education continues. <laughs> So you were in London last week, and you you were, what, doing some filming? No, I was in London yesterday doing some filming. 
Uh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Envoy time. Uh, yeah, so Lucy and I were together. Uh, Lucy is... Oh, you describe Lucy. Well, so Lucy is... Uh, she's an incredible facilitator, consultant. She runs a firm called Make Work Play. We get to collaborate, play... Uh, alongside Lucy at times. And uh, she borrows from the field of improv and a couple other places, but introducing and injecting life and play into organizations. I think it's a rad concept. So we were filming some content, and uh, we agreed that we'd meet at, in Westminster. Is that where you were? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'd had some meetings uh, near Parliament, and we decided we were going to film around there. It's convenient for her to come on the train. And But can I just say, she out-Englishes... <laughs> All of the rest of the Brits on the team. What she out English like is Roger, out, certainly Alex. Like she British British tulip or British dandelion. No, or something? Not, <laughs> we call them English roses. Same thing. Whatever. But she showed up on a bicycle in a hat <laughs> and rode around Parliament. There's so much bloody traffic. She's like, like a very very young Mary Poppins, just like pulling out. She says, "Hello, how is you?" And then she does Sean this Connery, thing. She does yeah, this okay. thing where she did it. She did it yesterday, where. I said, um, we're, we're setting, up, setting up this shot. We're in the, like the shadow of the House of Lords. There's this little park. We're trying to find a quiet space by the river. And she was just being very sort of Southern English. And I was like, oh, you're doing that whole like Kate Winslet thing. And she said, oh, my sister once looked after her kid on a train. <laughs> and I said, I said to Lucy, because we're so different given what part of the country I'm from. I said, Lucy, every time we talk about like a famous person, you're always like, oh, yeah, well, when I hung out with them, this time, she's like, no, I'm not. I don't know many famous people. That's the that's the Lucy we know and love. Anyway, we are filming. Um, we're filming because, as you know, we're trying to encourage more open-mindedness when approaching solutions to problems. So we are helping clients um, navigate through some tough, either it's a new strategy or a negotiation and we live in a world where people have very fixed ideas about how things should be. Mm-hmm. And so I asked her if she would film a session on using this yes and technique. Yeah. Uh, the improv artists use, which is to just build off each other's phraseology. And uh, she so was the, actually... So yes, yes and. and. Okay. Yes. But she talked about yes anders. I actually, so I'm a bit of a huh. skeptic on all of this stuff. And yeah, you're more you can, of a yes You can tell in the video guy. she's got this yep. like raised eyebrow look at me, which is like, you will eventually work this out, <laughs> knucklehead. But, the, but just generally, like her philosophy is that um, she has this beautiful line uh, that she borrows from one of the founders of this movement, which is uh, there, are, there are two types of people in this world, people who, who are open to new things and people who are not. And... There are upsides. The yes-anders mm-hmm. are people who will have life packed full of new experiences. Mm-hmm. And those who are the opposite of that, who are the, the, the no people versus the yes people, will have a degree of safety and a feeling mm. of safety. And what I love about it is she says, no, both that's actually, right? the, both are really important. Yeah. Both are really important. But being aware of sort of which you are at any moment in time is very important. Anyway, then we run through some scenarios about yes-butting and yes-anding. And it's quite funny. But yeah, the video is, is available. Uh, the video is only available to clients at envoynotes.com forward slash ignite. This is ignite learning. So envoynotes.com forward slash ignite. And if you're a client, then you know that the password is uh, capital C canvas. If you're not a client, you didn't hear any of that. And there's not a chance you can go watch that video. 
I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first is, is it a forward slash? I always say backslash. Oh. We're going to have to look that up. So slash, so when slash first started happening, don't, the internet, don't go there. it upset a lot of Brits. Don't go there. Because slash means to piss in. You went there. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and we're here now. Okay. The uh, BBC had, had struggled with it for a little bit. They didn't know what to, they, they would say something like, they said something like forward stroke. <laughs> Which is, I can't remember the phrase they used, but it it, it yeah. almost had a worse urban dictionary sense than it was. It was a good attempt. It was a valiant attempt. Rich coming from the BBC. Yes. Oh, I can't remember the word. Yep. Um, <laughs> the second question. Yeah. So it, it, yes, and creating openness in organizations. Yeah. You use it as a negotiator. I use it as a mediator. Like it's a great way to get folks. Wait, just, you say backslash? Yeah. Not forward slash. Correct. We might need some help from people to explain. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. People to smarter us. than us, please, yeah. please do. Um, so, on the one side, the people who are open to opportunities yeah. and saying yes, that's good, sure. And then on the far side, there's the safety, but uh, particularly as you and I come from a world of uh, military adjacent, at least, uh, I find this concept of the red team is mm -hmm. parking folks in that say yes, but, or say no. And that is a critical function on a team if deployed appropriately. And I want to capture that for a second. That part's interesting to me. You've used a red team. I've used a red team in past lives. Do you want to explain maybe the concept of a red team? So a red team, blue team is where um, the blue team is your side, right? Mm -hmm. It's a blue for NATO. Mm -hmm. And red team historically comes from the Warsaw Pact countries that were were identified as red. And the idea is that you you have training units that are trained to think and operate in the style that the opposition would, the opponent sure. would. That's the red team. And to fight that way. And it's to train. Actually, the history, the, the most obvious history is around red flag in Nevada, which is an annual exercise of the United States and allied air forces. So Australia, the UK, Japan, mm -hmm. they invite different people, but it's the top guns and they fly in the desert. And um, it came from the days when during the Vietnam War, the United States Air Force was losing incredible numbers in dogfights. Mm -hmm. And one of the causes that was identified was that American pilots were flying as if they were fighting against, against American, American pilots, pilots right. and they needed to train about uh, against people who had a different um, methodology and philosophy. We're seeing this in Ukraine at the moment, is that the Ukrainians were trained on a Soviet system mm -hmm. and are moving to not just Western weapons, but a Western philosophy and methodologies that integrate with those weapons. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so the idea of having a red team is it's a group of people who are designed to think differently from the other side. So I struggle with this idea that, that yes and mm -hmm. is actually about safety and security because I think a little bit is yes and is, is probing to see where the weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. Well, and we could do this and we could do the other. That oftentimes, I, I, I come across this a lot when we, we deal with innovation stuff. I hate doing innovation with marketing people or brand people or quote creative people. Oh, I tell me it. more. Oh, I hate it. Because those people are often motivated or attuned to whatever the latest trend is. Whatever okay. the, oh, this is the latest thing and we must all head in that direction. Whereas for me, innovation is much closer uh, to things like cybersecurity or audit 
because you are looking not for patterns and trends, you're looking for breakages in patterns and trends. And it's the breakages where the opportunities exist. That's where disruption happens, not just continuing on with the trend. So I find it often that the least creative people are people who define themselves as innovative and creative. Mm. And the opposite is true. Actually, the most are those people who, on the outside, look very dull, but are actually have a critical mindset and can can see they can see negative space. Hmm. I think you and I oriented very popular with accounts. Innovation. I actually am very popular with accounts. Uh, Not as popular as actually now I think about you're more popular popular than you are (laughs) with accounts. (laughs) Accounts love me. I'm big in the CPA world. You are very big in the CPA CPA celebrity. Um, (laughs) No, no. So the the red team concept, I I think, lands the point that there is space on both sides. The space that creates space and and says yes to everything, at least in the ideation process. And there are the people who say no to everything or yes, but that couldn't work because. And Lucy, I think, made the point appropriately that you open up opportunity if you say yes and create energy. So this will kill Lucy because Lucy is sort of a, uh, she's just come back from a month living in a field, (laughs) basically living in a hippie field. Uh And I'm not sure she's pacifist, but she's very peace-loving. But you've just transitioned essentially from our tool of the week to, to Envoy Tank, Tank Radio, Radio. Yeah. and about the military stuff. But a good example of that, so back to this sort of trend thinking versus yes and, right? If you if you are yes anding, how do you really land punches on NATO and the United States in particular? You know, while everybody's focused on Ukraine, if you were Russia, you'd be like, well, how do we... Yes, and we could have the war in Ukraine and we could try to suck in you know, NATO resources. Yes, and what we could actually do is to make this about France in Africa mm-hmm. and how do we come up through that flank? Well, kind of interesting, the Economist has is, is been running the numbers on this. There was another coup this week, in last week in Africa, um, uh, in Gabon, the, the the military overthrew the civilian leadership. Ali Bongo was was overthrown. Uh, he's now under house arrest. This follows Niger just a few so, which weeks. Which was ago. a couple of weeks back, yeah. But seven of the eight coups since twenty twenty in Africa have been in Francophone countries. They've been in former French colonies. Really? Now France is a mess right now. Interestingly, France economically is doing great, but France politically is a real mm-hmm. mess with riots and and lots of social disturbances and economic disruption. Um, so if you were sort of yes-anding, how would we come at the underbelly of NATO? Actually, you might go through Africa. And if you think about the Wagner Group and all the history there and all of those things, but these military coups are not getting barely any coverage in Western media as mm-hmm. we're very much focused on whether Ukrainians are gaining a meter or not gaining a meter in, in the war with Russia. Um, but there's another front on this, and we may not even be seeing it, and maybe we need to be doing a bit more yes-anding. More yes-anding. Whether, it, whether it's by design of the Russians, it's unlikely, but Russia and China taking advantage of... And in, all, in many of these coups, France is being positioned as... So what happens when, when France withdrew from its colonies was uh, the former colonies developed independence, but they kept a lot of military assets there. Um, unlike the Brits, we sort of got out of there as quickly as possible and left the mess. But there's, um, 
so so France is very much seen still as the colonial power in these countries and of influence, and it's created this common enemy that if you're Russia or China, you can just jump on the back off and mm. you're sort of in the heart of NATO. So anyway, yes, ending to... God, Lucy's going to be traumatized that we took a technique and applied it to military strategy. He did, we, as, as one does. But thus ends Envoy Tank Radio, and this is where Perry plays the sting. And that brings us to a newly entitled segment, Yelling at Clouds with Scott and Ace, which is where we get to rant. It's my favorite time of the day. Oh, my turn, my turn. Oh, okay. Well, we it's get not to my rant. favorite time. You get to rant to this week. All right. Women's bathrooms. Oh, you, that that's where we're going? Yep. I'm straight, in the, straight in the women's bathroom. Okay. Uh, cues in women's bathrooms. The most eminently solvable problem. Like the standing that in line. Overnight. Is that yeah. what you mean? Okay. Yeah. So we're in the airport today, walking down. Uh, men's bathrooms, no lines. Women's bathrooms, lines. This is, even if you're the most sexist person in the world, mm -hmm. but you happen to travel with your wife, girlfriend, daughter, whatever, you will still be waiting outside the men's bathroom waiting for the women in your life to have stood in line in the women's bathrooms. Mm. So there's even a selfish gain in this. But let's presume that we give a shit and we think actually maybe just one gender queuing for the bathroom isn't fair. The way we fix this is so ridiculously easy. Just every other men's bathroom, turn it into a women's bathroom. Mm. When was the last time you were in a bathroom in an airport and it was full? There's like literally observable spare capacity. And the opposite is true. I actually have an answer to that. Oh, you do, do you yeah, count? No, no, but but for the same reason. It's when when you're waiting for a urinal, there's never a line. When you're waiting for a stall, there is. Oh, but the thing that women, like, the thing we don't talk about, about why there are lines now for stalls in men's bathrooms where there wasn't before. Guys are just in there reading their phones. Oh, yeah. 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 That, yeah. that is a newly created problem. <laughs> there would not be lines for stalls and bathrooms if you had to put your phone in. Like, and then if women knew the number of, I, I don't know, I presume this isn't the case in women's bathrooms, the number of phone calls that are taken in men's bathrooms while urinating, business calls, oh, yeah. not like through the roof. Guy sidles up to me at the stall, just yapping and yammering. Yep. If one were an intel officer, you'd just stand at a stall <laughs> in the bathroom. Anyway, it's, it's just sheer yeah. demand and supply. And we have we have built this, this is your equality and equity thing, right? We've built this idea that for every women's bathroom, there needs to be a men's bathroom. There doesn't. At the same square footage for different machinery. It's just ridiculous. It's okay. All right. So we're going to fix the lines in women's bathrooms uh, per decree of Lord Wayne. I like it. Uh, okay, so the last request we've had from people through this complete overhaul of the podcast, which is exactly wait, the same wait, it's our podcast. Problem. Perry, play a sting. All right, cool. The other request we've had of people as we've been doing this recorded radio show, yeah, has been, um, hey, you owe us money. Where will we be able to find you next? <laughs> so uh, where are you for the next week or so? <laughs> this is where you can find us to break our kneecaps. Um, next week we'll be in London. Oh, yeah, we're back. Yeah. Oh, God, we're back. Well, you're back. Yeah. You're back because you were there this week, not last week. Uh, yeah, London for a couple days. So if you're around, come find us. Until then, we'll see you next week. Definitely. Definitely.